Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Crushing Real Estate with Brian Pham, where we interview real estate professionals around the industry. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and leave a very positive review. We release an episode every single Sunday, so stay tuned. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Crushing Real Estate. Today is a great day. I get to interview my friend Tyler. Hey Tyler, can you walk through who you are and uh, give us give, give us a little bit of info on what you do in real estate? Yeah, Brian, thank you very much for having me on today. Um, it's kind of cool that we're talking over this podcast. I kind of uh, met you not too long ago through a mutual friend of ours, Jimmy, down in SoCal. So shout out, shout out to Jimmy. Yeah. Um, it, it, I think this will be a theme down the line, but in terms of just meeting people and networking, you never know where, where a friend or connection could come in, come in handy and really um, introduce you know friends, basically. So mm-hmm. a quick little note on myself. Um, grew up in the Bay Area, born and raised out here in Berkeley, California. Went to school down south. Um, so kind of the... Uh, where, which is where actually where I met Jimmy, so in, in Riverside. But um, mm-hmm. I started investing in real estate in 2016. Okay. Um, decided to go for that cash flow that everyone wants, that passive income. Uh, definitely fell into some ups and downs in my journey. Uh, but I'm really excited to kind of talk about my strategies and my learnings and my failures. <laughs> definitely. We'll get started real quick. Um, how did you get started into real estate and where did, you, where did you buy your first property? Yeah. So I started getting into it in 2016, like I mentioned. Um, that was kind of a moment in my life where I really wanted to step up my knowledge base and my knowledge of investing and, and, and financial kind of intelligence. Um, I wasn't making a ton of money back then. And that was kind of the, the real, real driver of that. Basically through podcasts, through books. Um, again, I was really in that, that tough spot of not wanting to work for the rest of my life, quote unquote, we'll call it. Um, I didn't want to work till I was 65 years old. Mm-hmm. And so that was a huge driver. Um, on top of that, you know, I saw myself sitting down every month and writing that rent check to my landlord who's sitting back and um, just collecting this rent money. I was like, this is, this is, a, this is a pretty good business model here. Mm-hmm. Um, provide a place to live to someone, collect rent. If you can cover your expenses and, and cash a little bit, like this is a, a solid model that you can scale mm-hmm. and then bring in that income to really support your lifestyle. So um, on top of that, I, had, I have a, a brain that's, that's always working and have these kind of random ideas. But I also um, had the dream of living the, what they call the, the, the van life, we'll call it. I don't know if you knew that about me, Brian, but... I didn't know um, this part about you, Tyler. <laughs> I, at, at one point in my life, and maybe still in the future, I, I do want to try out living in a van, which one of my friends is actually doing right now. But, but what that required was finding ways to bring in consistent monthly income Mm-hmm. as well as limiting my expenses. And I also thought, you know, hey, the best way to do that right now in my life is to get into the real estate game where I could cash flow monthly income, support myself monthly and, and live, out that, live, live out of that van. <laughs> <laughs> sounds, like a, sounds like a crazy idea, but it's well suited for the Bay Area. It got me started, man. It got me started. <laughs> so can we jump into your first deal? Can you walk us through where'd you buy it? If you don't mind sharing some numbers, what was going through your, your mind in your first deal? Yeah. So the, the first deal was in Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, okay. So I decided to invest out of state over 2000 miles away from my hometown in, mm-hmm. in the Bay Area. And I'll admit I was very naive going into that. Um, you well, know, that, why did you pick Indiana all places? Um, well, without getting into too much detail, um, 
it was a market. Well, I guess I'll rewind. I, I had, or I worked with a turnkey company, mm-hmm. which I'm not a fan of anymore. But um, so I kind of by default ran and fell into that market. Um, now, a couple of years later, I am really understanding that that actually is a pretty good market for cash flowing properties. Mm-hmm. Um, you're seeing a lot of population growth in that area. You're seeing job growth at high wages in that area. Mm-hmm. The biggest example that I keep touching on is Salesforce moved um, out there a few years wow. ago. And it's the That's second um, largest headquarters in, in the U.S. right now. And so with that, you also have the basic metrics of the, the acquisition price to rent ratio. Like the numbers make sense. You can find a property out there that will bring in more money than your monthly expenses. And that's the, that's the basics of a cash flow property. So that all exists out there. Okay. Um, so that's kind of why I got into that, that market kind of by default fell into it, but I'm now finally understanding that there is a power in a really good future for that Midwest market. Okay. Um, and yeah, like I said, that was through a turnkey company. Again, I hit a lot of bumps and bruises along the way there. How'd you find this turnkey property? Did you go to meetups or did you research? No, on- like, Again, I, 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 again, I was super naive in that first property. <laughs> I, I literally found it. I got, I got hit with a targeted Facebook ad. Oh wow. It and, works. That's crazy. And it worked, man. Like it, it, I, I, I was somewhat stupid in that regard. Like I, I fell for the, fell for the numbers on paper, which we might get into later. Like the numbers on paper don't always pan out as we, as we probably both know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I got hit with a, a targeted ad and, and kind of, my mentality for this investing type of journey I've been on was I just jumped in. Like I, I didn't have a lot of the knowledge I, that I do now. I love I've actually learned that's a that's lot. That's the way to learn. That's the thing, man. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I remember that first property. I barely knew how to even calculate cap rate or even the cash on cash return. I just saw the numbers on paper. I said, okay. Wow. That's pretty great. Property was $37,000 rents, rents for seven fifty a month. Sounds good to me. I was like, the numbers on paper make sense. This is like a 10 or 13% cash on cash. So mm-hmm. I jumped in, made the leap. Like I said, again, hit some bruises and <laughs> <laughs> had some pitfalls there, but I learned along the way. Yeah. Did you finance this deal or did you buy all cash? This first deal was all cash. Mm-hmm. Um, and my reasoning behind that was I thought I'd be a little less risky and not having to worry about a potential vacancy and having to pay a, a mortgage payment. Mm-hmm. I think in hindsight, now I, I definitely finance um, and leverage for not having to put up as much cash as I need uh, for all cash purchase. But yeah, mm-hmm. that, that first deal, again, I, I think I kind of did things backwards. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I decided to buy a property in the middle of nowhere, Indiana, all cash and mm-hmm. fly out to see it until later. Oh, wow. I mean, well, we'll dive deeper into that a little bit later, but you know, we want to talk a little bit more about what keeps you motivated, Tyler. Like, what what keeps you going every day? What is your why? What do you you know? I know you mentioned earlier that you know your why is to live in, living living in your van, but <laughs> <laughs> what's the reason? That, that, that? I guess that, that was a that was a former why, but it's kind of attached. I think what motivates me every day, and that's a really good question because you know you, you probably see people in, in in your circle, or maybe not your circle, but but around around town and some former friends and they, they're trying to search for that motivation and they're not yeah, really happy definitely. with their job, but they don't really have that why and how they're going to get there. So for me, the motivation is, um, you know, that, that lockdown vision and those goals and, and everything I'm doing today and tomorrow and the next day and the next month, like I'm going to be working on those goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really what's motivated me. And, and this is going to sound cliche and you're probably going to hear this 
20 times while you, you have this podcast. But it's every single time. It's all about the financial freedom, man. And, and I hate to use that word because, again, it, it can be seen as somewhat of a cop-out answer, but um, it's not you know, I, I, I don't, I don't, it's also a selfish answer too, right? No, it's not. Um, no, it is. It really is. Cause you're doing things for yourself. Mm-hmm. The, the thought is hopefully when I reach financial independence and I can cover my expenses, I don't have to, you know, clock into a job every day. Um, which then hopefully translates to me being able to give back more to the community, mm-hmm. spend more time with friends and family, you know, build those relationships with it, which is, I think what life is all about. Like if yeah. we didn't have relationships, I mean, life, it would be completely different, obviously. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's kind of the point of, point of life, I think. Yeah, <laughs> without, honestly, getting, without getting too in-depth of what the meaning of life is. Yeah, honestly, I don't think that's, that's selfish at all. I think that's a really good reason. Because yeah. one of my philosophy is that if you can take care of yourself first, you can make a bigger difference in the world. Mm-hmm. So that's 100% true. Um, and I, I think I, I learned that, you know, within the past year myself, too. It's... it's um, it's it's okay to be selfish because like you just said right now, you got to take care of yourself before others. So um, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, we'll leave it at that. Um, I mean, you know, you, you got to real estate, that's your first deal. I mean, can you talk a little bit more about your second and third deal and what you, what you want to get into in the future now or next five years? Like, where do you see yourself? And you know, just start with the beginning. Like, yeah, yeah. So I bought that again. I, keep referencing that first deal, but that was kind of what got me started, obviously, and, yeah. and probably the most important deal of my life so far. Um, cause it got me into that right mindset and mind frame and got mm-hmm. me into the industry basically. But I learned a lot from that first property and I, and I bought a second single family home, um, probably about, you know, actually it was about, it was almost a year later. So I sat on that first property for about a year, really. Oh, wow. Um, and it actually cash flowed. I ended up selling that, but, um, what I learned from that first property was, the importance of buying in the right neighborhood, mm-hmm. uh, the importance of having a trusted team on the ground. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where that property fell apart was the mistrust in the people I was working with. Okay. And I learned that pretty quickly. Um, I it, uh, what was the mistrust? Like, was it a property management company? Well, I, I, I'll go into the quick story here. I think people kind of know this already, but um, so about 11 months into me owning that property, Mm-hmm. Um, I got a message from my friend, Bo Kim, shout out to Bo down in LA. Um, <laughs> he drove by my property. He was in the area looking for properties. He drove through Indianapolis. He goes, Hey Tyler, like there's a lockbox on your front door. And I'm like, no, you're joking with me, man. There's, there's no, there's a lockbox on my front door. Like, what do you, why, why? Um, but he's like, no, man, there really is a lockbox on the front door. And so it turns out, long story short, my property was vacant. The, the tenants left without even, Wow. Um, anyone know. However, my property management company did know, but they failed to, to notify me. So how long was this time period? Um, well, I, within me understanding that the property was vacant and me firing them probably two to three weeks, because what I did is I took action real quick and I, I hired a third party property management company um, to go scout out the property. Basically, I said, hey, we got to make some changes here. Like, mm-hmm. can you take a look, verify that the property is actually vacant? Mm-hmm. Um, and sure enough, there was a lockbox on the front door and there's even signs of a squatter in the garage. Someone had broken the, broken the, um, <laughs> the lock and there was like, you know, a backpack and a bike and stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I mean, back to the, the main question, it was, it was, uh, you know, th- through that experience, um, I understood the importance of neighborhood class, mm-hmm. tenant class that you draw in, um, a good team on the ground. Um, 
you know, higher rents, obviously are going to protect you better for future expenses or repairs. Cause even in that case, um, I ended up with a, a quote of $16,000 to get that property back up and running bought for 35, 16, I bought for 37 and there were 16 K in repairs, which I decided not to, not to spend on and reinvest in because I knew that I wanted to get to a better class neighborhood, higher mm-hmm. rents, better school district, less crime. Mm-hmm. And then I was working with a better team. So that's kind of what, what the prog- progression was. Um, and then after that, I, I decided to, we'll call it quote unquote scale up. And that's when I went from single families to a, a massive duplex. That's huge. <laughs> so I went, so I, went, I went from single family to duplex. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm a real estate investor. I know what I'm doing here. Let's go from one unit to two, um, which is, you know, a, a, a good example. I was still pretty young and still am young in this, in this game, but I, I picked up a duplex um, actually on my birthday last year, closed on my birthday. On in July. And then I started to think even bigger and like think about larger multifamily, which I think Brian, you're kind of aware of now, mm-hmm. um, decided to dive into the, the syndication world. And I'm not, not a general partner by any means or anything like that. But my thought was to get into some of these deals as a limited partner, you mm-hmm. know, bring my cash and leverage these, these sponsor groups and, and leverage their experience and their knowledge and their, their, their knowledge of managing a deal, finding a deal, financing a deal, mm-hmm. meeting, all that kind of stuff. And, and to kind of get into that crowd, really, um, learn the terminology, understand the business models. And um, that's kind of where I'm at right now is, is I've joined a couple syndication deals nice. uh, in Louisville and now recently Phoenix. Whoa. Um, and then, uh, two syndication projects right now? Sorry, what was that? You're doing two syndication projects right now? Yeah. Yeah. Again, just as a limited partner, um, I'm now in two deals. I just, we, we closed on the Phoenix one, uh, end of June. And then, you know, next steps for me are, I I'm trying to work my way into a a general, general partner role for the next deal. Okay. Goal. That's a nice approach, man. Is that where you see yourself doing now in five years from now as a syndicator? So I, I'm not positive that I want to see myself as a, you know, syndicator we'll call it. I, I think, um, because right now I'm, I'm, I'm not really hundred percent sure if I want to do like real estate full time. And I think yeah. syndicating definitely takes up a lot of, um, resources and time. And, and I still have a W2 job. I still have other passion projects on my plate. And mm-hmm. that's actually one thing I'm struggling with right now is how do I allocate my time and my resources? Mm-hmm. And so at this point, you know, in the next couple of years, I don't see myself being a sole syndicator. I think I can definitely provide value in a syndication deal, whether that's working with investors or trying to raise capital or just doing due diligence. So I think that's kind of my next step right now. Um, to, play, to be a general partner in a deal, yes, but not be like the that's guy from the Yeah. Um, again, because I think there's a lot of power to me right now having a W-2 job and, and I do, you know, that's going to take 40 plus hours a week um, for, me away, uh, for me away from real estate, as an example. Okay. I mean, to those who don't know what real estate syndication is, Tyler, can you give a brief description of what syndication is? Yeah. I, I would say the summarize like macro, macro level version or summary of a, of a syndication is basically it's pooling together money. I'm sorry. We'll, we'll, we'll rewind. It's multiple investors pooling money together to acquire a large property. Um, generally, there is two sides to that. There's the general partnership, which is usually the people that are you know, finding the deal, they're able to, they have the relationship with the brokers, they have a relationship with the, um, the financers, they know how to run due diligence, 
Um, they know how to manage their property. They should know how to um, manage a construction site and renovations. Mm-hmm. And then the other side is a limited partnership where I just equate that to basically a silent partner, a silent money partner. So the silent LLPs, we call them limited partners. Mm-hmm. They come in with the money and it's a perfect example of partnership and leveraging each other's strengths. So you have one side that knows how to find the deal and do everything and run it. You get the other side that just brings in the cash. You mm-hmm. pair that together and you got a great deal. Hopefully, fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good, de- good definition, man. Appreciate that. Yeah. I guess now's a great time to kind of circle back a little bit and talk about your lessons learned. What would you, what have you done differently in your first deal? Now yeah, you, I, I think so I have a, I have, I think a, 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 the good mindset in that, um, anything that goes wrong in my life or my investing career or my job, like it's a great mentality to have. And, and, and I think you always need to find the positives in every negative. And so you, you know, if you have that mentality, you're going to see every negative as a positive and you're just going to be more optimistic and everything. So mindset. Yeah, exactly. And, and that having gone through that first deal again of, you know, buying this property out of state, not very knowledgeable, working with people that, you know, could be seen as untrustworthy or or even shady into some regards Mm -hmm. that would, you know, turn some people away from real estate. But I think at least my mindset was, okay, let's take every single learning moment from that, that experience and move it on to the next deal, which, which helped me a lot in in acquiring that next property and the next duplex. But Mm -hmm. I touched on this earlier. A lot of the learnings for me were just understanding how to analyze a property. Number one, like understand your numbers, um, make sure you have the correct spreadsheets. And if you don't, partner with someone that knows how to run those numbers for you. Mm-hmm. Um, understand the, the value and importance of location. Mm-hmm. Um, some people, yes, make money in those D-class war zones. Um, that's not me. And I don't want to manage something <laughs> like that. Um, that first so I, you know, I'm leaning more towards that C plus B neighborhood, man. Like, it, well, well, you know, you and I were still pretty young in this game, but I think it's pretty easy to understand that those C and D-class neighborhoods, they just draw a different type, type of tenant. A tenant who may not pay on time, a Mm -hmm. tenant who may not be able to pay, period. Um, And you also understand like turnover and vacancy is what kills cash flow and and return. Um, And I think the the last two things I'll touch on is, again, making sure you properly vet your partners Mm -hmm. and you really know who you're working with. Definitely. Um, And then to expound on that is like just keep actively networking with people and meeting quality people like yourself, Brian. Thank you. Um, it's just like that has been the key to my investing career is the only reason why I've been able to get into these bigger deals now is because I've been networking. Mm-hmm. I've been able to identify the people that are driven and motivated to, to succeed in this industry. Um, they know, I was going to swear right there, but they, they know their stuff and <laughs> they know what a good deal is. They know what a bad deal is. They know how to run the numbers. Mm-hmm. And if not, you just partner with people that, that kind of pick up your, your weaknesses. Yeah. I mean, you always want to partner with someone who compliments you, you know, exactly. like you're really good at analyzing deals, find someone that's really, really aggressive or exactly. vice versa. You know, like that's, that's a part of, I always tell my friends, like when you enter into a, a partnership, it almost feels like you're dating them for a long yeah. time. Especially it is, man. It's, it's a relationship. It is. It is. And, and you, the, 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 the hard thing is like, I think a lot of, I'll, I'll say this, like, I kind of came into this with more of that um, siloed approach where I wanted to do everything myself. And I think yeah. that was probably because I was the only child for a while until my sister came along like 12 years later. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I've always been kind of stubborn and want to do, do things myself. But mm-hmm. 
if you can find that person that compliments yourself um, and picks up where you kind of lack or whatever that may be, mm-hmm. um, that's where you're really going to grow exponentially. Yeah. Um, that's the other thing. Like you don't, you know, if you can do something yourself, that's great. But if you can find a partner and exponentially grow, that that's, that's what the partnership's all for. Yeah. I know that most people are afraid of partnerships, especially those who meet at meetups, but they really don't know that well, them that, that well. I mean, do you have any suggestions of how you should, how you should vet them? Like, and how you should protect yourself as a partner working with someone else that's yeah. that you barely know? Well, I, I guess I would say, um, like when I talk about actively and like aggressively networking, mm-hmm. I don't want it to come across as like every person I meet is like an interview. Like, hey, I'm Tyler. How are you doing today? <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. Like you want to make friends. That, that's actually what I mean. It's not networking. It's make, it's like making friends. And I heard that on some other podcast or, or pockets. somewhere probably like it shouldn't be a job interview. Like that's just going to come across superficial and, and you're not going to really form that bond. Like you got to find people with that same mindset and become yeah. friends with them because that's going to mm-hmm. be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't, don't, don't go into every like meetup and just like shake everyone's hand and, and pass out a, a business card and think that you're going to get like 20 deals off market the next day. Like yeah. you're find those people that you, that are going to be like actually friends. Yep. And I because think that's probably, are, it's a networking game. Yeah. That, I think that's game. probably the best way to network is just go in with the approach of, you know, don't, don't get as many, you know, um, business cards as possible, but like find those few key people that you think can actually, you can work with down the line and actually like go out and grab a beer with sometimes or go out and grab some lunch and like just have open conversations with these people about life and career and literally everything. Like Brian, I'll sit down with you and we don't have to talk about real estate. Like we can talk about anything you want and I'm sure I'll have some comments about that and you and vice versa, but it's going to be a good time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I feel you in that one. I mean, real estate's very relation, relationship kind of game. And you never know who you're going to meet and what, what kind of value you can bring to that person. Exactly. But, you know, if you step into the other side, I mean, when you enter into a partnership, there's also operating agreements where mm-hmm. you could, you know, protect yourself or spell out scenarios that are completely unforeseen. Mm-hmm. Uh, any of you guys partnering up in the future, I highly recommend looking to an operating agreement um, I think no matter how strong your friendship is or what you think that a person won't or will not do to you, it's always great to have an operating agreement, especially one in rental investment. Mm-hmm. There's no end date. It's not like flipping. Yep. There's, you never know when you're going to sell. So definitely be careful. And, and to touch on that really quickly, because I, I, um, I just read a book recently called The $100 Startup. And they actually, it's a great book it's not really real estate related, but mm-hmm. it's a pretty good book in that they kind of go over, go over how to start a business. Mm-hmm. And part of that covers partnerships and part of that covers literally they have like a one page partnership agreement in that book. So take a look at that. Um, it's a great resource. And, and to your point, Brian, like me and my friend Nick were looking at doing like an e-commerce site and as a, as partners. And, and the first thing I think we really understood was, you know, partners can turn, partnerships can turn ugly. I think we've all seen that. And so the best way to avoid that is like, let's talk through equity. Let's talk through responsibilities up front right now, because Mm -hmm. let's say, you know, this partnership is flourishing and our business is flourishing. Well, Mm -hmm. you don't want to talk about equity like two weeks or I'm sorry, two years down the line. Cause that, that could be, that could be kind of a sticky situation. You're going to start talking about, Oh, you know, you you did this, you work 40 hours a week and I, I only work 15 and 
Mm-hmm. So just like you said, knock out those details up front before you really start um, building out that business or that partnership or that, that deal. Like get everything on paper. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with that one. Be as clear as possible up front. I mean, a lot of my listeners are, they want to get into real estate. And I know like we kind of just jumped in right into your first deal. Can we talk mm-hmm. a little about how you found your real estate agent? How did you find your property manager? What kind of questions did you ask them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, um, I'll have to plug bigger pockets here. Um, you know, the, the amazing resource online and, um, that's a great networking tool. Uh, it's almost like a social media platform for real estate investors. So, you know, it's, it's being active in the forums, asking questions, seeing who the best property managers and agents are out in your market and just connecting with them. Like hop on the phone. People are still afraid to hop on the phone these days. Yeah, definitely. And, and they'll expect this, you know, super detailed response. And they, they, they're going to hope that that's sparked a strong partnership. But um, yeah, hop on the phone, make sure you do your research on realtors in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the biggest thing for me was, you know, I, I was investing in the Midwest and still am, but I flew out there and I shook their hands and I met them in person. Like nice. a lot of these people that are investing from afar, they still think it's super easy to just do everything on the computer, which, you know, technology has, has provided that opportunity for us, mm-hmm. but there is a strong, there's still a strong, um, I'm not sure what the word I'm, is I'm looking for. There, there's still, there's still, a, a, there's, there's a lot of value. Yeah. In hopping on a flight, going out to your market, meeting people in person, shaking their hands and having a conversation with them. And so, Thank you know, uh, yeah, like I, I've, I've flown out to Indianapolis. I, my, I make it a habit. I flew out there once a year. I've been there three times now. Mm-hmm. I've seen my property manager in person three times now. I've shaken their hands. Um, but before that initial, like, Hey, you're hired type of thing again, hop on the phone. I, I mean, I have 20 questions I would ask them, for example, like a property manager, number one, like how many units do you, do you oversee right now? How do you plan to market your units? That's a big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your, what's your maintenance team like and how responsive are they? How do tenants request maintenance requests? Because again, vacancy and turnover is such a huge killer to, um, your ROI, you mm-hmm. want to make sure that that tenant's happy. And if there's a leaky faucet, they got to be able to hop online and request a, a repair, mm-hmm. you know, submit a request, a, a, a repair request right, right then and there to get that service. Otherwise they, they might say, Hey, lease is over. I'm out guys. Sorry. Um, and then understand like kind of what the software they're using is. And for example, you know, I, I be, I'm able to log into a portal online and see, you know, when rent comes in and mm-hmm. uh, what, what, maintenance issues are popping up and, and if I owe any money. So some of those are the basic questions, but at the end of the day, you got to find someone that you trust yeah. and get along with and talk to easily. And, and especially being out of state communication is my, my main priority. Like if I email someone in the Midwest, I want a response within 24 hours. That's huh? a, that's a big, a big thing for me. Okay. Wow. That's, that's some really, really good tips. I mean, that kind of brings us towards the end of the show. And before we close out, um, Tyler, what's your favorite book, man? Um, so I don't have a favorite book, but I did want to mention a book that's not related to real estate at all that I read earlier this year. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a funny book. It's called uh, Living with a Seal. Have you heard that one, Brian? Not yet, but I'm so, going to make sure I mark it down. It, it came out, I'm not even sure how long ago, but it, it's, it's by Jesse Itzler. Um, and he, it's, it's almost like a diary of 
when he lived with David Goggins, who's this honestly kind of insane, like workout freak. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's a diary of him living with a Navy SEAL. So it's not like the actual animal, which I think a lot of people think of right away. But so it's, it's a diary of him living with this Navy SEAL for one month. And the reason why it was so powerful to me is because the major theme is all about doing things you don't want to do. Mm, that's because that's what's going to make you successful in life. Mm-hmm. Like there's a, there's a kind of a hilarious chapter where, you know, this Navy SEAL is making, making Jesse work out every day at the craziest hours of the day, nonstop. And, and he's like, Hey Jesse, let's go out for a run. He's like, okay, Jesse's like, let's go for a run. And they get to this, this is out in the East coast. They get to this like ice lake and, um, David Goggins, the Navy SEAL says, jump in the ice lake. And Jesse's like, hell no, man, I'm not jumping in. The- <laughs> he makes him jump in the ice lake. And, and that, the, again, the theme is like, no one wants to jump in an ice lake. There's no benefit to jumping in an ice lake. You can literally freeze and die in the ice lake. Mm-hmm. But it's all about just saying, screw it. Let's get through this. Let's push through it. Push through this challenge. I don't want to do it, but I'm going to tackle it. This is, this is going to better me in the long run. So, I mean, you, you see that day to day. Like, it's about to be discipline. It's, it's discipline and getting through those things that people don't want to get through. A lot of us in America, when they get home, they want to sit on the couch and watch Netflix, right? Mm-hmm. No one wants to come home and work more. But I know you and I, Brian, we do get home and we do the things that we don't want to do so we can have a life that, you know, no one else can have. be successful at the end. <laughs> so we're, do, we're doing things that most people don't want to do. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. So that's, that's why I like that book so much. It really reinforced that theme. I definitely have to pick up this book scene, man. Living with a seal. I like that. So Tyler, how can we reach out to you? Uh, do you have Instagram? Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, about a year ago, I started a blog called jumpinrealestate.com. Okay. Um, I basically started detailing my deals um, from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I had some traction on bigger pockets and was able to kind of bring an audience online to my own blog. So jumpinrealestate.com, you can see all my um, social handles and, and I do blog posts on real estate investing and kind of profile my, my career and my journey. And then also the biggest thing is just to provide value to the readers. So I make sure that, you know, uh, everything I write has some value to the reader. Okay, great, Tyler. I appreciate your time. This is a great interview.